Luke chapter 12, you guys ready? All right, there's a lot of you in here this morning, a lot of new kids. So I'm going to try and give us a uh, little bit of context of, of where we're at, where we're going. Um, I'm not going to go too far because I don't have too much time. But Luke uh, is a physician. He is giving us an account of the things that Jesus is, is doing and in saying. He gives us very right off the bat in chapter 1, verse 1, uh, 1 through 4, he tells us that he is basically just recounting the things that he has seen and also from the things that eyewitnesses have seen that he has interviewed. Um, so what, everything that we're reading now um, is not just real in the sense because it was God-breathed and inspired by the Holy Spirit, but it was also actual events that took place by actual eyewitnesses, right? So our faith is not just founded upon some fairy tale. It is something that has literally happened, just like you would learn in a history class at school. And so essentially that's what we're learning, but there is a spiritual aspect to this, and Jesus is now in this time that we're reading in, in chapter 12, he is speaking to a large group of people so that many, many people hear. Um, he's teaching them different truths, and a couple of the truths that we have been going through, specifically from verses 13 through 21, was that life is not about possessions, right? Life is not about, and this is a, this is a good thing for us to hear in the Western culture in America because we are really consumed by, by things, right? And it can go beyond just things, too. It can go to things that maybe aren't tangible, like, uh, careers or pursuits or passions, things like that. But specifically things that Jesus is talking about, because he says in verse 15, one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses, right? Jesus talks about how we can gain the whole world, yet we can also lose our soul. So if we happen to have a lot of possessions, if, if God happens to bless us in being rich, you know, he tells us there is a way to handle that, right? There's a way to handle that. And it's not to be greedy. It's not to be covetous. It's to handle it well, and it's to use those things for the kingdom of God, right? It's to be generous. Then he goes on in verses 22 through 34, which we covered last week, that we are to not worry, right? We're not to worry. So, you know, we're not to be in the pursuit of things, but in the same sense, God is going to provide the things that we actually need. It may not be an abundance of things, but he provides exactly what we need. And he gives us two examples one with the raven, he says in verse 24, and he says, God feeds them, right? They don't do, they don't do anything, right? They don't, they don't reap anything, but what they sow, they, they, they don't reap, they don't sow, but God provides, right? He says that in verse 24, he says, God feeds them. But then he, he gives us this, you know, this question of how much more value are you than the birds? Now, obviously, we all have a little bit of a common sense, so we know that when Jesus gives us this question, that we know that we are of more value than ravens, right? I mean, that's just common sense. We also, beyond common sense, we see it in Scripture that God has given us dominion over animals. But not only that, when he created us, he created us in his own image. And that when he created us, not only did he, did he speak it, but he breathed life into us, right? Completely different than any other creation where where he spoke animals into existence, right? But for us, we are created in the image of God. So we're of more value, right? It's just common sense. So he goes on to say, God knows the things that you need. He says, consider the lilies. He says, if God clothes the lilies in, in verse 28, you know, how much more is he going to clothe you? Oh, you little faith. 
so we're not to worry because we are of much value, right? And that was one of the key things that we had to look at last week, that God loves us deeply. God cares for us. I mean, we see that God loves us not just by what he says, but what he does, right? I mean, how nice is it when, when somebody that's close to you, some, some type of relationship, whether it's a, a sibling, a parent, a close friend, when they tell you they love you, it's really nice to hear, right? But sometimes it's, it's more important not just to hear coming from their mouth that they love you, but to see an action that they love you, that they back up what they say, right? And Jesus tells us in the scriptures that the greatest show of love is what? Is it a kiss? Is it a hug? Is it giving, you know, a really nice fancy gift to someone, an expensive gift? What is it? What is the greatest show of love? Come on, people. Sacrifice, salvation. Chloe? Are you talking to the person next to you? Because I can't hear you. To lay, this is what you said, I don't know. Jesus died on the cross. There's no greater show of love than to lay down your life for a friend. Right? To lay down your life. And, and Jesus did that not just in the physical sense. Obviously, he did it in the physical sense. But he did it in the way that he lived his life. Right? He, he says, I didn't come to you know, be served, but I came to serve. Right? And we're talking about not just you know, this really famous guy. We're not talking about this guy that has a lot of authority on earth. We're talking about God himself incarnate, right? who became you know, one of his own creation, and his own creation didn't even care for him or like him or even recognize who he was. Right? And so we despise him. Right? The Bible calls us enemies of God, right? that we were against God, and yet Jesus... And God the Father loved us so much that God sent his only begotten son, Jesus, who willingly came and laid down his life for his own creation. That is the greatest show of love. So Jesus, because honestly, if you look through scripture, doesn't really, like Jesus never says, I love you. And if you find that, please like come share it with me because I have not found like a literal scripture where like in red where he says to his disciples, like, I love you, right? Now, obviously he loved them. And we do see scripture saying that, that Jesus does love us. But more important than any of that is that we see it by his actions, right? We see it by his actions. So because of that great love towards us, it shows you the great value that we have because he laid his life down, right? I mean, that, that is a priceless thing. Jesus's life is priceless. You know, it's, you, you can't equate it to an amount of money or value. It, it's, it's, you can't. So in that sense, our life... And who we are, God sees as valuable. And I, I'm, I'm telling you this over and over again because, one, you need to know it and believe it, and two, it helps us with the context of what we're about to read. Okay? If God values us and loves us so much, what is then our response to that? How do we live in light of that? And that's what Jesus is going to get at as we look at verses 35 through 48 this morning. So let's go ahead and read it. I want to read all of it and then come back and then go through it point by point. So Jesus says this, he says, let your waist be girded and your lamps burning and you yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and he will come and serve them. And if he should come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, Blessed are those servants. But know this, 
that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And every time the, 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 the term Son of Man comes up, it's in reference to Jesus. So Peter said to him, Lord, do you speak this parable only to us or to all people? And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward, whom his master will make ruler over his household to give them their portion of food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. But if that servant says in his heart, My master is delaying his coming, and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and be drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he's not looking for him, at an hour when he's not aware, and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant who knew his master's will, where was I? I'm sorry. And that master who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself, or do according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know, yet committed things deserving of stripes, shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. Just a reminder, please keep your phones in your pockets if you can. So we get a couple parables here. And I'm saying that because somebody's phone just popped up on my iPad and it, I missed my spot because it distracted me. So keep your phones in your pockets. So we get a couple parables in this, and, it, and, and a, a few, one that is speaking of a wedding. All right, we get one of a thief, you know, who's about to, to do what he does, hence that's why he's called a thief. Um, and then we, we get this, this picture of, of a master and a master having servants and choosing one of those servants who's doing really well to be basically steward of the whole house, to be you know, like the, the, head, the head steward, the head servant. Um, and then we see that servant not doing what he was supposed to be doing, not obeying the commands of his master, and really keeping his eye off and not having the anticipation of his master returning. And once you do that, he starts to do these bad things where he starts to beat the male and female servants. And then we see all the judgments that come upon those who don't do what they're supposed to be doing. Okay? So, to give us an idea of what's happening. We just talked about God valuing us, right? That God loves us and cares for us and that, that we are of more value than anything on this earth. And he's shown us a great sacrifice by laying down his life for us, right? Now, in response to that, if we believe that Jesus Christ died for us, if we've repented from our sins, if we have turned from them, we are now a follower or we are a servant to our master, who is Jesus Christ, right? Now, for those of us who are born again, it's salvation, it doesn't just end at salvation. It doesn't just end when, when God shows us grace, right? And he, he imparts the Holy Spirit into us. That's, that's not where it ends. We then do work, right? It doesn't just end with faith. It starts with faith, and then it's, it's preceded by works, right? Because faith without works is dead. Now, in the midst of that time, while... We're waiting to either die, right, because that's what life is, or, or really, as Pastor Kevin says, we don't really die. We just, as the Bible puts it for Christians, we, we fall asleep, right, because really, we are already dead, right, and the fact that we are born again, that's what makes us alive. 
So really, we just transition. But in that time of either us transitioning or Jesus coming back, we have to be ready. Okay, We have to be doing well. We have to be, and this is going to be the theme, is that we have to be faithful. Right? If you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, it is important that you are faithful to Jesus. And there's work that needs to be done. And we need to have the anticipation that our master is going to come back at any time. Because what we see throughout scripture is that there will be a time when Jesus is going to come back and he's going to take his church. He's going to take his bride, right? That's what the church is. The church is the bride to the groom, and that's what Jesus is, the groom. He's going to take his church. At what point is he going to take the church? It's the same thing. No. We don't know, right? But one thing we do know is that it is before the tribulation. If you read scripture and you read it in context and you read the understanding of, of all of it, we do know that Jesus will come back at some point for his church before the great tribulation, which is the seven years that we're going to see on, the, well, that we're not going to see on this earth, but that will happen on this earth where Jesus will pour out his wrath upon the earth. But he spares his church. Right? Because we, we have been redeemed. That Jesus has already took the wrath of God for us. There's no need for us to be there. Right? And so what we're going to see is that there's going to be this, 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 uh, this rapture. And we call it rapture because it is part of these Greek words that we see in, in Second Thessalon- or 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You won't find that English word in Scripture, but the, the idea of that word is in Scripture. So what I want to do is I want to read really quick 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 13 through 18. If you can, turn there with me. Go to the right a little bit. We need to read this because I want, I want to do this. I want to set this up because it helps us understand it helps us understand this parable. Right? Because all throughout this, he talks about, okay, the servants don't know when the master's coming back. Right? Also, the servants don't know when the thief is coming. Right? Now, if I know when the master's coming back, well, you know, maybe the day before I'm going to get my, my things in order. I'm going to clean up the house. I'm going to do what I'm supposed to be doing. You know, I, I could have just been doing anything I wanted in that time that he was gone, but then got everything back in order the day before he came, right? Kind of like how teenagers act sometimes when their parents are gone, right? Oh, they tell you, you know, we're leaving Friday. We're coming back Sunday night. Well, Friday night, Saturday night, you're trashing the place. You're, you're not putting pants on. You're not doing dishes, whatever it may be. But then you knowing that they're coming back Sunday, you're going to get the house back in order, right? That's not necessarily a bad thing, right? But hypothetically speaking, if we didn't know when our parents were coming back, well, would you really trash the place? Would you, you know, not do the dishes? Would you not do this? Would you not? No, you wouldn't because you wouldn't know if they'd be coming back in five minutes or five days. And you have to live with the anticipation that they're coming back at any moment because it also helps us live faithfully. Right? Knowing that, that, that Jesus can come back at any point. Right? That he doesn't tell us, yeah, I'm coming back you know, December 4th, 2022. Right? Well, in that case, I'm going to live my life how I want, knowing that God shows grace, and then on December 3rd, I'm going to get my life right, right. And that's not really the heart we should have either. And I don't think you can really live that way if that were the case. But that's not what Jesus does. He says, you don't know when I'm returning. Right? Now, we do know that he will return, right? There is a time when Jesus will return. 
And what we're reading today is not the second coming of Jesus. Okay, And I want to get this clear because there's a misunderstanding between the second coming of Jesus and the rapture of the church. They are two different events. Okay, And I will break those down a little bit so that we can have an understanding of what's happening. Because if, if we don't get our, our, uh, our terminologies right, then sometimes our understanding is wrong. Right? Kind of like when we say, oh, I accepted Jesus into my heart. No, that's not a real thing. That's, that's not a biblical thing. You don't find that anywhere in Scripture. I mean, you don't accept Jesus. Jesus accepted you, right? So we, we have these terminologies, we have these phrases that we use in church that aren't always completely correct. So when we're talking about the second coming of Jesus, this is not the rapture of the church. This is not what we're talking about here where we don't know when Jesus is coming. We do know when Jesus is coming the second time in a physical sense. Right? That's when he's going to come and he's going to establish his, king, his kingdom on the earth after the seven years of tribulation, but we'll get into that. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 through 18 is where we get the word rapture, is where we get the idea that we will be caught up in the air with Jesus. Okay? So in a sense, this is him coming, but not in a physical sense, not where the whole world's going to see it. Okay? This is not his second coming. It says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, says, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. Again, the Bible doesn't talk about Christians being dead, but have fallen asleep. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then those who are alive and remain shall be caught up together, that's where we get the word rapture, with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord, therefore comfort one another with these words. So there will be a time when we will be caught up, everyone who is born again will be caught up in the air with Christ, and we will go to him to heaven. And there will be this, I don't have time to take questions. There will be seven years, okay, seven years of tribulation on the earth where we who were caught up with Christ will not be on earth, okay? And this is what we call, you know, um, oh my gosh, what do you call it? Pre-trib, right? The pre-tribulation that, that, that we are uh, raptured before the tribulation. Some people believe that you're raptured midway through the tribulation. Some people believe you're raptured or, or taken out after the seven years of the tribulation. So again, the rapture is when Jesus returns to remove the church. Okay, That's everyone who believes. It's everyone who's born again from the church. The second coming is when Jesus returns to defeat the Antichrist, right? who we're going to see three and a half years into the seven years. He'll destroy him, and he will establish his millennial reign, which is a thousand years. This happens after the seven years. Okay, This is the second coming of Jesus Christ. And that's described in, in Revelation 19, if you guys want to read that on your own. So really quick, there's an importance that I want to look at of the differences between the rapture and the second coming. One, at the rapture, believers meet God, meet Jesus in the air. At the second coming, believers return with Jesus to the earth. That's when he's going to return as king. The second coming, number two, the second coming comes after the great and terrible tribulation, which we see in Revelation chapters 6 through 19. Okay, the rapture occurs before the tribulation. Number three, the rapture is the removal of believers from the earth as an act of deliverance. The second coming includes the removal of unbelievers as an act of judgment. Number four, 
The rapture will be secret. It'll be instant. Nobody knows the day or the hour, but the second coming will be visible to all, and we will know when it is coming. The second coming, number five, of Christ will not occur until after certain other times or other end times events take place. But for us, the rapture is imminent. It could take place at any moment. And not only that, we are to live as if it takes place at any moment. And we're going to see why based on these parables. Okay? So, understanding that, that Jesus is coming back at any moment for his church, we are to live a certain type of way, which is to be wise and faithful. So he says in verse 35, he starts off this parable by saying, let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. Basically, now, for us, we don't really gird our waist. We kind of do with, with belts, but that's more to really just like keep our pants up or to be stylish, right? Uh, for them, it was a actual like, uh, like necessity. It, was, it, it had a practical application, right? For us, again, it's, it's, we like to wear belts because they look good. Um, but for them, what they would do is they would gird their waist with, with rope or some type of belt because they were wearing tunics, right? And these tunics were long things, and, and the men would wear this too, okay? And what happens if you were trying to do any type of, of physical work, if you tried to run, if you tried to do anything like that, it's kind of like ladies, if you ever tried to run in a dress, like it's not easy, in a, in a long flowing dress that maybe went down to your feet, that might be really hard to run in, right? Why? You can trip. Thank you. Okay, so the ladies know this. Guys, you've never worn a dress. So if you did and it was really long and it went down to your feet, you might step on it and you might stumble and trip yourself. So what they would do is they would pick up their tunics and they would kind of gird them at their waist with, with the belt. They would cinch it so that way they, they could run, right? It's basically like putting shorts on. So that's what they called girding their loins or, or to, to gird their waist, right? Peter even taught, or Paul even talks about it in Ephesians chapter 6, when he talks about that we're to gird our waist with the, with the belt of truth, right? Ephesians 6.14, stand therefore having girded your waist with truth. So that as one of the, the parts of the armor of God is, is that belt, right? You guys ever seen The Bible Man? No? Some of you have. It's a really old show where it was like this Christian... Yeah, it was like a superhero, exactly. And he put on the armor of God... So you put on the belt of truth, right? You, you gird it around your waist. And the truth is so important. It's the very first thing that, that Paul mentions in Ephesians as one of the, the things that we're to wear because without the truth, none of the other things really matter. If we don't gird our, our clothes together, then, then everything else doesn't really matter because we're not going to be able to walk in the right way. So Peter says this about what it means to be spiritually girded. Okay, In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 through 15, he says, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy, right? And so this is what, what Peter reminds us of, what it means to be girded spiritually, but also in a practical sense, like in this parable, that we're to be ready, right? That we are in a race that that Jesus can come back at any point, but it starts with us being ready and understanding what the truth is. To know the truth, to obey the truth, to trust it, to love it. And if we do that, then we keep ourselves from the things that Peter mentioned in, in uh, verse 14 of 1 Peter. He says, you know, uh, conforming yourself to the former lusts, being ignorant, um, you know, all these things that, that we do when we're not walking the right way. 
when we haven't girded our waist. Okay, so part of our being ready for Jesus' coming is to be girded with the truth. It means to live faithfully and obediently to that truth. He goes on to say, not just to be girded by the waist, but to have your lamps burning, right? And I think we can look at this in, in a few different ways. We know we live in a dark world, right? We already looked at the scripture where Jesus called us straight up darkness, right? Without Christ, he says, you are darkness, right? But with Christ, because he is the light, he is the light of the world, he makes us light, right? We're like little mini lights of Jesus, right? And he says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, he says, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house, right? And so we're, we're having an understanding here that there are these servants. They're being warned and commanded to be girded, right, at their waist, and then they are to have their lamps lit, right, because it gives light to all who are in the house. But not only that, it says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You can see the lights outside of the house. Okay, so a sign of readiness was girding your waist and having your lamps lit. Okay, that was a sign of them welcoming the master back home because the master had left to go to the wedding, right? But they didn't know when he was coming back. So he says, be ready. So when he comes, you already have the door, you're ready to open the door, and you already have the lamp lit so that he can see that the house is ready for him to be back. Okay, it was a sign to the master that they were ready and looking forward to his return. And we see another example of this, this idea of just being ready in the Old Testament, very similar to what we're seeing here, is when, when God warned the Israelites to be ready to leave Egypt when he freed them from the Egyptians. You guys remember that story? And he, and he sent the ten plagues, and the final plague was, was the angel of death coming over and, and killing all the firstborns unless... You were saved from that by doing what? Putting the blood of the lamb over the doorpost, right? And so the angel of death would see that and you would be spared. Uh, just another picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ and his blood forgiving us, being the remission of our sins, right? That, that we are saved. And so, but one of the things he told him to do in Exodus chapter 12, verse 11, he says, In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, right? Your waist girded your sandals on your feet, right, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. And he goes on to explain a little bit more, but basically the idea of like, be ready, let's go, right? Like as a father, as a husband, anytime we want to do something, like I'm, I want my family to be ready and let's go. Like waiting at the last moment or waiting for the other person to get ready while the other person's waiting for the other person to get ready, like it, it, it doesn't work that way, right? Then we've wasted 20, 30 minutes all waiting for each other to get ready. But if we're already ready, we can just get up and go, right? And so he warns the Israelites, be ready, okay? Because the time will come. When I tell you to leave, it's time to leave. It's not a, when I tell you to leave, then go get ready, right? I'm sure there's, I'm speaking to plenty of people who do this, where your parents are like, all right, let's go. And you're like, all right, let me go get ready. Like, no, you should have already been ready. We can't waste the time for you to, you know, get changed and try on five outfits and get your shoes on and put your deodorant on and brush your teeth. We don't have time for that. You should have been ready. So they ate their meal and they were ready to leave at any moment. In the same sense, we have to be ready is what, what Jesus is telling to his disciples and his followers, that we have to be ready at any moment. And by being ready, it means that we are constantly being faithful day in and day out. 
Because as he's going to tell us later on, that there is a reward for us being ready. There's a reward for us being ready when the master returns. Just like the servants are going to be rewarded when the master returns. But not only, but on the flip side, not only is there a reward for being ready, but there's a consequence for not being ready. Right? And that's, that's the scary thing. And that's what we're going to see as we, we continue through this. So verse 36, we've girded our waists, our lamps are burning. And he says in verse 36, you yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, that they may open to him immediately. That right when he comes, they're able and capable of just immediately opening the door because they've been, on the, they've been looking. They've been prepared, right? So to get a little context of, of how this works, because really this is about Jewish weddings, they were usually held at night, and it was not always known at what time they would take place. The groom would show up unannounced at his bride's house. He would take her home with him to his father's house. And the bride's wedding party would, would have to be ready at any moment so that they could follow the wedding procession. But if they didn't, then they wouldn't be in on it. And Jesus even told a parable or a story of this in Matthew 25 with the, 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 ten, the ten wedding maids who were waiting for the groom to arrive. Five were ready and five were not. And those who were not ready they missed out on the wedding. The idea here is that they didn't know exactly when it started or exactly when it ended. And so again, the idea was they didn't really know when their master was coming home, right? They didn't know. So Jesus goes on to say in verse 37, but blessed are those ser servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have, have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. If you were ready and you were watching, if you guys have AirPods in or any type of devices in your ears, unless you actually need it for like hearing, please take them out. The watching and awake servants will be greatly rewarded when the master returns. You'll be rewarded. Right? And that's not a typical thing. Like if if you're a slave, if you're a servant, you know, the master doesn't have to do that. But again, this shows you the, the, the heart that Jesus has for his followers is that he then himself, what we see in verse 37, is that he will then gird him his own self, right? He, he'll get down. He will serve his servants, right? We see that at the end of verse 37. He says that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat, and he will come and he will serve them. That's who Jesus is, right? So understanding that Jesus is going to come back at any moment, that we need to be, be counted as faithful, that we need to live faithfully. And this isn't just for adults, this is for you guys at, at 12, 14, 16, 18 years old, that you need to be counted faithful. Because listen, you don't want to be caught not ready and unprepared. You don't want to do that because there's a consequence to that. But we know that Jesus, as a reward to us, will come and he will serve us if we are ready and waiting. And he has counted us as faithful. Verse 38, we're running out of time. It says in verse 38, And if he should come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. So the Romans had four different uh, watches of the night. The Jews had three. But we're, we're talking about these four watches. The, first wa or the second watch was from 9 p.m. until midnight. The third watch was from midnight until 3 a.m. 
I don't think the idea here is so much just never go to sleep and always be on the lookout, right? The idea is, again, the, the concept is that we are to be prepared, that we're to be ready, that the master can come back at any moment. I'm sure I'm saying this over and over again, right? But the Bible also says it over and over again. So two main themes of this parable. The master's return, we don't know when it's coming, but we're to be ready nevertheless. He goes on in verse 39. He says, but know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So now Jesus switches parables or metaphors, okay? These aren't linked together because that might be really confusing. He switches parables. He switches metaphors. And instead of talking about getting ready for the wedding and his master returning from a wedding, he talks about being prepared for a thief, right? Now, wouldn't it be really nice if a thief announced himself and told him when he was coming? Because I would be super strapped to the nine. Like, I would have everything that I have to, yeah. Yep. He would have been, been shot into, not cut into, right? So the idea here, again, is the same thing. You don't know when the master's returning. You don't know when the thief is coming, right? You'd have to be a really dumb thief to announce yourself, right? So you have to stay on guard. You never know when a thief is coming, okay? But in both cases, in the master's return and the thief's arrival, both were unexpected, right? But one meant blessing because the servants were ready, and the other meant a loss or a consequence because they were not ready. And this is what Jesus is getting at. Are we going to be ready for when he comes, or are we going to be not ready? And there's consequences to that. So Jesus is coming. He will come. And it's important that he finds us doing what he has called us to do, to be faithful. Verse 41, Peter speaks up and he responds, and he says to Jesus, Lord, do you speak this parable only to us or to all people? He's wondering, is this just for us, the 12 disciples, or is this for everyone who's listening Jesus kind of answers this in the sense that it's, it's for all those who are faithful and wise. So he says in verse 42, And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward, whom his master will make ruler over his household, to give them their portion of food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. So Jesus is speaking to all, all who are faithful and all who are wise stewards. And the steward that Jesus holds up for a claim is not doing something particularly flashy or creative. It's just someone who is faithful to do the everyday, I, I, in a sense, mundane, just being faithful to Jesus, right? Being faithful to Jesus is more than just being this great minister for God or, you know, going across the seas to be a missionary. It's, it's just being faithful in the ordinary, Right? We saw this with, with Gideon's life. Remember, on Wednesday nights, for those of you here on Wednesday nights, Gideon was faithful to, to the ends of the earth when it came to going to battle and doing these crazy things for God. But once those things ended, once it came down to like, okay, now i got to go to work, i got to have a family, i got to do this, i got to do that, like it wasn't crazy, extreme things, he, he wasn't really faithful to God. And so I want to encourage you guys that just in the ordinary days of life, that we're to be faithful to Jesus, right? That's what a steward does. That's what a servant does. You're just continuing your duty that you've been called to do. 
day after day, without fail, without forgetting, without unexplained lapses, just constantly being faithful to Jesus. You should be counted on, not just as a faithful steward to Jesus, but even within the church. 1 Corinthians 4.2 says this, and there is nothing more important. Well, I don't say there's nothing more important, but this is one of the most important things, one of the most important characteristics or virtues that you yourself can have when it comes to being a minister or a steward. It says in 1 Corinthians 4.2, moreover, it's required in stewards that one be found faithful. Like if you, if you want to serve, and I'll just say specifically like in this church, we could care less what kind of degrees you got, how talented you are, any, any of these things. And those aren't bad things, okay? I'm not knocking those things. But don't think that those things are more important than someone being found faithful. If you're faithful to the faith and obedient to Christ, and if you're also faithful in the sense of like being there, showing up on time, I mean, those are all really good things. Like these, this virtue will help you not just in your spiritual life, but also in your physical life. Like even, even with work and school, if you're one that is counted faithful. And he tells us, for those of us who are good stewards and we're found faithful, that there is a reward and this re- reward is a promotion. Right? He tells us here that, that we would then, well, he tells us a little later on, he tells us that we would then become basically the, the master of the house, ruling over the household. Right? Jesus, again, says in verse 43, Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. So you'll be rewarded, and that reward will be a promotion. Verse 45, he says, But if that servant says in his heart, My master is delaying his coming, basically saying, This guy's taking too long. Right? Like, is he, is he going to show up? Is he not going to show up? I don't know if he's going to show up. Whatever. Basically, once you have that mindset, right, and you're not anticipating the return, this is what can happen. It says in verse 45, he begins to beat the male and female servants to eat and drink and be drunk. And the master of that servant will come on a day when he's not looking for him, at an hour when he's not aware, and you'll cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. So a poor steward lives without the expectation of his master's return, and it shows in several areas of life. One, he mistreats the master's other servants, right? He begins to beat the female and male servants. Two, he excessively is given to the pleasures of this world, right? Where Jesus already called us not to do so. So he eats, he drinks. And three, he's given over to intoxication, to be drunk. And being drunk is the very antithesis of the qualities of, of being awake and being ready and being watchful, of the par- which the parables have already stressed, you know, that, that we're to be ready with the anticipation. Being drunk, you can't do that, right? Being intoxicated, you can't do that. And so he says that the, the consequence of not being ready, this man will be cut in two and given his portion as if with the unbelievers. So the unfaithful steward is assigned the portion as the same as an unbeliever, as the faithless, right? So again, Jesus is warning us that it's really important that we be faithful and that we be ready with the expectation that he comes at any moment, right? And that's why it's so important for us to believe and to know that, that, that Jesus will rapture or take the church before the tribulation, right? Because that gives us 
that lines up with everything that we see in the Gospels where we wouldn't know when he's coming, right? If Jesus were to come halfway between the tribulation, we know he comes three and a half years in. If we know that he comes seven, after the tribulation, well, then we know he comes seven years after, right? Then, then there's no, we don't know when the master's coming. We don't know when the thief is coming. No, Christ is pretty clear that we have no idea, that only God knows that timing, right? Only God knows. And so it's good because we live with the anticipation that he's coming at any moment. Verse 47, And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. To whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. So here we see and we learn more about the, the, the judgment process that God has. And the extent of it is based on how you've responded to what God has revealed to you, right? It makes, makes sense, right? Like, you, you shouldn't be, you know, have the same type of consequences for something that someone else, you, let's say you've done, okay, let me explain it this way. There's two people, you and another person, you both have done the same thing wrong. The other guy was told, you shouldn't do this, you weren't told anything, Right? There should be a different consequence because this person was, was told. And so this is what Jesus is explaining to us, that if you have known what God requires of you and you didn't do it, then it will be a harsher punishment for you. But nonetheless, there will still be a punishment even if you didn't know what was required of you. You are still held responsible, right? Because again, God is a just God. And he goes on, he ends this with this... Uh, this saying where, where much is given in verse uh, 48. He says, For everyone to whom much is given, for him much will be required, and to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask some more. And we get this same idea with the parable of the talents that Jesus gives us in the other Gospels. But also reminds me of, of Spider-Man. You know when Uncle Ben... Wow, you guys really perked up when I said that. You guys know when Uncle Ben, his like most famous line, what does he say? Go ahead. Well, you guys know Spider-Man, but you don't know the Bible. <laughs> With great power comes great responsibility, right? They got that concept from Scripture, right? Yeah, there's a lot of different concepts that come from Scripture that people don't know. Like the writings on the wall. You ever heard that expression? Well, that comes from Daniel. You know, a lot of different things. So anyways, with great power comes great responsibility. What Jesus says, to whom much is given, him much will be required, right? If God has revealed and given you these things then you're held accountable to it, right? To, to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. If you have been given much by God, then he will be expecting much in return and when he returns. All right, let's pray. So Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that it would continue to resonate in our hearts. Lord, that you would continue to remind us to be faithful, to be ready, to be aware, to be alert that you could come at any moment. Lord, that we would not be caught with our pants down, that we would not be caught unprepared. Lord, that we would be faithful in doing what you have commanded us to do, all because of the great love that you have shown us. Lord, we know that you are a good master. Lord, you are a good God. Lord, and we know that there is a reward for those of us who are doing what you have called us to do, whether you return now or we return in 50 years, whatever it may be. Lord, that we would be faithful day in and day out, even in the mundane things of life. So, Lord, I pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit to give us that ability. 
Lord, that we would do exactly what you've required of us. So we love you, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.